This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything Rich, Tom and myself have been up to Thursday, the 27th of October, which includes quite a bizarre conversation about Elon Musk and his sink. Are we going to get that Twitter deal done tomorrow? Uh, That's the question. Was he carrying a sink from Rack Ceramics? That's the other question. Uh, we've also been looking at what's happening, speaking of social media companies, with Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, with the analyst Jessica Amir from Saxo Bank, speaking to us all the way from Australia. Fresh off a plane from Cairo, meanwhile, speaking about regional issues, was the economics expert Angus Blair. And we've had quite the conversation this morning on off-plan property. Two experts for the price of one, Fintan Flannelly from Allsop and Allsop and Sarah Hewardine from Hauser have been taking so many uh, of... I was about to say your questions. I kind of mean my questions and your questions about buying off plan and what you need to weigh up between buying off plan or buying a ready property. Why is Elon Musk taking various parts of his one bedroom flat? into Wall Street companies, so this companies. This is a tweet from Elon Musk yesterday. We'll give you the details in a second, but first of all, we'll play you the six-second video from his own Twitter feed, which he posted about seven or eight hours ago. If you watch it on TV, on Dubai One TV, and I encourage you to do so, or if you watch it on your browser, go to DubaiOne.ae, you can, you can stream us live there. This is Elon walking into Twitter headquarters. So if you couldn't quite hear him then, what was he saying, Tom? Uh, he's basically saying, um, let's. Uh, what the actual thing he says is, entering Twitter HQ, let that sink in. Um, and what you can hear there is all his flunkies and hangers-on just giggling around him, because that's basically what they do all day long, isn't it? Um, he has now changed his bio on Twitter to... Mm, put your teeth back in. Chief Twit... Um, uh, teasing his move, which is going to happen, Dini, tomorrow, yeah? Well, the deadline is tomorrow, isn't it? So It, it should is. If he wants tomorrow. to avoid that court case, it's tomorrow. Yeah. And he said he will buy it for $44 billion, but he's got to come up with the readies tomorrow. Now, you, this publicity stunt would suggest that he's on board with the idea and changing his Twitter handle. You wouldn't do that if you're thinking, I've got the cash. I've looked behind the sofa, can't find 44 billion. But we well, think obviously that- whoa, 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 to- I'm just going to stop you. Elon Musk saying unverifiable things on Twitter. <laughs> well, yes, you make a fair point. He's obviously trying to save a bit of cash as well. He's obviously doing a bit of home improvements himself. He's decided to do the bathrooms himself, you know, <laughs> rather than get, you know, raw design to come in and do it for him or something like that. So he's sorting that one out. <laughs> he's, um, <laughs> but he, what he's done is he's got some of his powerful mates together, hasn't he, to help fund this bid. You were looking at some of the backers, Tom. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the banks that have come on board to finance the debt on this one, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, to mention uh, but a few. Uh, On top of that, equity investors, including Oracle Core co-founder Larry Ellison, uh, not sure of an investment or two. Saudi Prince Al-Walid bin Talal, uh, he's already um, admitted that he's going to sink $7.1 billion into as well. Thank you very much indeed. That's what I thought it was. I thought it was about (laughs) sinking cash and throwing the kitchen sink at. Didn't realise he was... Let it sink in. 
It's a, bit of, it's a dad joke. Oh. <laughs> it's a dad joke that you can only get away with if you're Elon Musk, because if you were to walk into any um, headquarters carrying a giant block of effectively stone, um, I don't. I, I mean, you'd be greeted by security, wouldn't you? And that's the other thing that is telling on this one. No one stopped. There is him. not a single security yeah. guard in. Pre- There's not a single person other than Elon and his two flunkies that feature in this six second video, which would suggest it was out of hours and rather contrived. But then again, it'd have to be, wouldn't it? If he's Elon Musk walking in with a large piece of ceramic. <laughs> I hope it's rack ceramics. <laughs> that would be a great marketing coup, wouldn't Brilliant. it? Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just want to know what he's done with it. With the sink. Yes. It's just, has it been left somewhere? Because one cut, anyway, yeah. Maybe it's on eBay. It will be on eBay, you're right, yeah. It will go for a huge amount of money as well. Again, another contribution to the rising price of Twitter. Yeah, Deschamps, he can go stick it in a a, a Paris art gallery. (laughs) Nothing would surprise me. This is not a sink. It's not not a sink that he's going to wash his hands of the deal in or anything, Uh... no? The gift that keeps on giving this one, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, Let's give it another 24 hours. This is Elon anything could happen. But it is earnings season and it is the social media companies that are this morning making the headlines, aren't they? They are indeed, yes. And for all the wrong reasons, Facebook overnight, we had earnings from them. The profit was slashed by about 50% quarterly profit. And the big concern that analysts have is the metaverse strategy that Elon is pursuing. Um, what do they call it? It's, um, it's not other bets, is it? That's Google. Um, but he's bet big on the metaverse. He's investing a lot of money in it. And there's very little return at the moment. So he's eating into the profits. Billions mm-hmm. and billions and billions is going into this. And on the analyst call last night, I wasn't on it, but people who were said that at times he was really quite uncomfortable with some of the questioning uh, about his metaverse strategy and, you know, almost squirming. Reality Labs unit, that's what they call it, the kind of metaverse bit. Um, you've got, for example, Brent Thrill at Jefferies said during the earnings call that investors are likely feeling as if there are too many experimental bets versus proven bets on the core and asked uh, Mr. Um, Zuckerberg why Meta believes that these experimental punts, like the metaverse, will pay off. Mr. Zuckerberg in response said, I just think there's a difference between something being experimental and not knowing how good it's going to end up being. But he went on to say, I think a lot of things that we're working on across the family of apps, we're quite confident that they're going to work and be good. And he cited the company's work improving Reels, which is on Instagram. It's kind of their version of TikTok, these uh, short videos. Also, some of the algorithms as well. Uh, But he did admit, I can't tell you right now how big they are going to scale to be. But he said they are kind of going in the right direction. Haven't there been a lot of numbers, which, as Coindesk points out, are debatable, suggesting that there's just not many people using the metaverse at the moment, that DAPA radar report? Yes, well, exactly. And and it's, it's outside of gaming, there aren't many uses. But what people like Zuckerberg, and to be fair, also Satya Nadella, biggest tech takeover in history, buying Activision Blizzard, the gaming company, they think it is going to spill out into the wider world rather than just gaming. And they say it's like, you know, the internet in 2003 or mobile in, uh, the internet in 1993 or mobile in 2004. No, the adoption wasn't there, the tech wasn't there, but it was the future. And those who were visionary enough to see it obviously did incredibly well. Will it be the next internet, Web 3.0? 
That's the punt. Of course, none of us has a crystal ball. And none of us wants to be the one to say these horseless carriages, they'll never catch on. <laughs> this is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Jessica Amir is a market strategist at Saxo Bank in Sydney, joins us now live on Microsoft Teams. Morning, Jessica. Hello, Richard. What a few days for big tech. Facebook overnight. And before that, we had Alphabet and Microsoft. We've got Apple to come tonight as well. Where do you want to start? I don't know. Where do you want to start? There's so much to say. Uh, But basically, the undercurrent is that we're experiencing a big wake-up call moment on the back of weaker-than-expected numbers. And this is really rattling investors. And that's why, Richard, overnight, we saw a big wipe out. So about $400 billion of market value came out of some of the biggest US tech names. And that's on the back of a lot of companies, um, Microsoft, Google Parent, uh, Alphabet, as well as Texas Instruments. And then, of course, after hours, as you said, we heard from Facebook or Meta, as they're now known, uh, all reporting weaker than expected results and a gloomy, dim outlook ahead. So a bit of a double whammy as well, weaker than expected results and also higher expenses ahead for some of these big tech companies. So lots more pain is ahead, unfortunately. Well, let's look at Facebook in particular, which is the the latest cab off the rank. Those numbers came out overnight. Let's have a listen to Mark Zuckerberg. This is him exactly one year ago, October the 28th, 2021, when he announced the fact that Facebook was changing its name from Facebook to Meta. I am proud to announce that starting today, our company is now Meta. Now we have a new North Star to help bring the metaverse to life. And we have a new name that reflects the full breadth of what we do and the future that we want to help build. From now on, we're going to be metaverse first, not Facebook first. Which was a great soundbite, but this time last year, one Facebook share was $312. Today at the Open, it's going to be about $107. That is a catastrophic... I know the markets are lower, Jessica, but that's extraordinary. Has this metaverse strategy failed? Yeah, well, well, so far it's been a big fail. And I guess uh, what we highlighted to investors uh, over the past 18 months was why we were quite bearish on this company. I mean, when a company is continuing to lose customers hand over fist, on top of that, there's rising interest rates. And the third thing is that uh, you've got... um, incoming competition by the likes of uh, TikTok. Um, it's a business model that's uh, doomed to face plant. And that was one of our outrageous predictions last year. And unfortunately, uh, it's come to fruition. Um, yeah, as you said, uh, the shares will probably look like they'll uh, they'll open um, just shy of uh, or a little over $100 at the open uh, based on Facebook shares losing 20% after hours. But the next level, uh, Richard, that we'll be watching is if Facebook does fall under the next $100 level, which is another key technical level that we'll be watching, if we fall under that, then there's a real risk that the $89 level will be in play. So they're the technicals, but what's supporting that is the lack of execution, going back to your question, um, when the rubber hits the road, that they have uh, they have failed to execute, and number one, uh, but they're reporting hotter than expected expenses and weaker than expected revenue. So basic economics, it's a business model that you don't really want. Um, so the fundamentals are weak and the technicals are also weak. So um, it is supporting very bearish undertones for uh, 
for potentially another Facebook faceplant. A Facebook faceplant, I like it. Let's look more broadly at the issue of online advertising because it's been a, a tough 10 days or so. Started with Snap last week. And their share price was down 30%. Analysts worried about the online advertising model. Then we had... Um, Alphabet announcing that YouTube had seen advertising revenue fall. Microsoft said that advertising revenue growth on LinkedIn was not falling, but weakening. What about the underlying advertising revenues on Instagram and Facebook, the the two core businesses really of of Meta? How do you see the online ad market? Well, we see it's uh, got a lot of headwinds. I mean, we do have to look at the macroeconomic landscape. And as always, when we are stock picking or when we are sector picking or picking asset allocation for investors, we've always got to start with the macroeconomic landscape. And that is we've got tightening liquidity, Richard. So when we've got tightening liquidity and the uh, the dirty R word facing uh, businesses, of course, naturally, the first thing that is going to be scratched off the list um, is, um, is anywhere that they can save expenditure and that is ads. So ongoing ad expenditure is expected to tumble. Um, And then on top of that, we've also got um, businesses who are likely to be earning less. We've also got the wealth effect, or I guess the reverse wealth effect. This is where um, effectively property prices globally are now starting to fall because interest rates are doing what they're supposed to and uh, slowing down expenditure and uh, slowing down price growth on properties and indeed pushing property values lower. And so this means people are are less likely to spend on other things. So uh, less likely to, of course, spend um, on advertising. And of course, indeed, this applies to businesses as well. So big business um, is expected to slash expenditure ahead. And I think we saw that with another of the major tech companies overnight, Richard uh, Seagate, announcing they see uh, some of their biggest customers uh, slashing forward-looking orders ahead, which is why they've cut 3,000 jobs. So uh, it's not just a, a one-trick pony or a one thing that's um, that's only um, focusing or tarnishing tech companies. It's, um, it's the global macroeconomic landscape. So no one is immune. The, the global macroeconomic landscape is not really favouring technology stocks or, or consumer discretionary stocks, particularly while interest rates are rising. Um, and indeed, while we've got runaway inflation, Richard, it looks like those two things are probably going to continue to buy. Well, I can see behind you on Microsoft Teams, Jessica, there's a, an office tower or residential tower that's being constructed in Sydney. So I'm not glad to see the system activity going on down in Australia, but we'll have to leave it there. Jessica Amir, market strategist at Saxo Bank in Sydney. Appreciate you joining us this morning. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Yeah, what with the FII going on down in Riyadh, we weren't going to let them have all the fun uh, without us addressing some of the big regional issues, be they economic commercial or of course how the region is positioned and responding at the moment to global issues. Uh, To that end uh, we need someone who's qualified uh, to speak on such subjects, an expert in the region no less and we have exactly that person, somebody who's uh, spent over 20 years here in the region uh, more recently has been based out of Cairo where he was the founder and is the founder of the Signet Institute, definitive thinking on the business economics and politics uh, of the MENA region, also sits as a strategic advisor and board member of Communicate. It's a warm welcome to 
goodbye to uh, the CEO of Signet, Angus Blair. Angus, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Tom. Thank you. Um, so what news from home, Angus, or home as it is at the moment, uh, Cairo? Let's start with Egypt, if we can, because so many stories to talk about there, none more so than the currency at the moment. There were people who thought that the Egyptian pound would never get to 22 the dollar, and yet uh, there are now analysts suggesting that could be the case by the end of the year. What's happening with the economy? Well, first of all, there are external issues and internal issues. If you look at Egypt in terms of its economy, it's been running a trade deficit for decades. In all of the time I've researched Egypt, either in the city in London or in the region, it's been very clear that there are fundamental issues which haven't truly been addressed to try to increase exports to become more competitive. That's begun to happen, but it's taking time. And it's taken a hit with COVID, although the government reacted, I have to say, very quickly to that crisis and reacted exceptionally quickly to the Russian attack on Ukraine in terms of food supply issues and immediate talks globally. You have to remember that even though there are people of competence, the central bank, there's a new central bank governor and the Ministry of Finance, structurally, it's very different. The Emirates looks outward. It's built on external relations and trading. And Egypt hasn't really been that. It hasn't really focused on exports really until the last 20 years or so, and it's taking time. And I have to say, though, internally, you can see that there are issues where companies are expanding production to export. Companies even like Mars exporting from Egypt and other companies, Samsung now putting phones together and televisions together to export, but it's taking time. The issue is in a market-based economy, there are issues with the currency and availability of foreign currency and with the hit in from COVID and foreign tourists not coming in, uh, with increased pricing of global foods, which you see here also when in terms of inflation, that's taken a, a hit to the government fiscal position. So it's difficult and there's pressure on the pound. The new central bank governor and his advisors probably with a, a, an agreement from the IMF, will move to more market-based movement of the currency. So it will be, I think, at last, a professional move to be able to deal with the market stresses. But it's taking time and it's painful. But we'll eventually get out of it. But inflation, as a result, will remain high too. Let's turn our attention, if we can, Angus, to near neighbours Lebanon as well. Where do we start uh, when it comes to Lebanon? Uh, let's start with the attempts to... Um, elect a new government, which have failed for the fourth time now as well. Obviously, that's having a knock-on effect with the economy. We don't even need to explain to people what's happening with the economy. The future looks bleak at the moment. But then again, that's a phrase that we've used in the past with regards to Lebanon. What's your reading? Well, I was there a few weeks ago. I'm on the board of another company, amazing young talent in Beirut and Istanbul called Obsido. Uh, they help companies with startups with, uh, and, and larger companies with their online presence. Amazing talent. And you know, Lebanese talent is amazing. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere. But the body politic is very different. And it's very much a bubble within the overall uh, system. And my issue there is that they're trying to elect a new president right now. You just mentioned the election. Everyone just votes for their own particular sect. And no, there are great candidates out there, but none in the body politic. So no one can agree who's going to take charge. And meanwhile, the economy is continuing to go into freefall. And it's shocking to see my friends and what's happened to them. But uh, I really hope something happens. There needs to be a change. But frankly, Tom, I don't quite see it in the short term. They'll find a compromise candidate, as they always do. But they may not be the best person, probably will not be the best, best person to be president. But, and the economy will continue to fall. So uh, it'll be more of the same. If we sat here next year, we'd probably be talking about roughly the same thing about Lebanon. I hope not, but the likelihood is we will. 
Let's take more of a, a macro look, if we can, at the region as a whole, because you mentioned the food supplies and food prices. Are there certain countries in the MENA region that are feeling that bite more than others? Yeah, Mediterranean countries, Morocco, Algeria, Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan. Uh, but then if you look across the GCC, you're also importing a lot of food. So food price inflation is going to be, and it is a, it's a global issue. You know, we're both British. Um, we see what's happening in the UK, and the UK is in a complete mess politically and economically. All governments haven't really gotten on top of this. We need to improve food security everywhere and make sure that people at the lowest side, especially in Egypt and the Mediterranean, who are really poor, have to do, um, be protected more by the government with subsidies, for example. Uh, key to that will be alliances. I mentioned FII a little earlier on. Obviously, UAE and Egypt uh, in negotiations and celebrations at the moment as well. Are, you, are we seeing a shift, a change in terms of alliances, global alliances at the moment? Yeah, we don't have, to, we don't have time to go into that today, but enormous <laughs> geopolitical changes. And, and it's interesting, Saudi, you mentioned earlier in your programme about investment from Saudi and the, their yeah. fund in the region. It's great that that's happening at last. I've covered the region a long time. Most regional money has gone outside the region. And I think with Egypt has privatisations coming up, you're bound to see, I think, very likely to see significant Saudi Arabian investment in companies uh, and specific projects, because the government in Egypt will be grateful for that income of foreign currency and investment, because it will help produce a change of sentiment about Egypt. I mean, Egypt's an amazing, it's a huge economy, it's very diversified, but no one's really gotten into the problem of what can we really do to better use government finances. But anyway, it's good that Saudi Arabia is helping. But geopolitical alliances, that's maybe for off air and another discussion. Yeah. Well, we will definitely get you back to discuss that in more detail. At a time on this occasion, Angus, always good to catch up with you. Thank, Thank you. you so much indeed for your time. Safe journey back to uh, Cairo. And a big thanks to Angus, Angus Blair uh, from the CEO Signet joining us live here in the studio in Dubai. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. And we've got not one but two experts in the studio this morning taking your questions, which are coming thick and fast. Thank you very much about off-plan property. Off-plan versus ready property. How do you make the decision about what to buy? Off-plan sales are on the rise. They currently represent more than half of all the sales transactions that we saw in Dubai in October and in September. Very pleased to be joined in the studio this morning by Sarah Hewarding, who's Head of Marketing at Hauser, and Fintan Flanley, who's Head of Developer Sales at Allsop and Allsop. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for asking us. Thanks. Good morning. And for those who would uh, like to weigh in for questions on the subject this morning, 4001, or you can, of course, uh, use our free messaging app. What's the WhatsApp number again, Tom? 04871-5500. So there you go. We've got questions coming in already for you guys. But let's start looking at why the off-plan market is growing so much. Q3 saw the highest number of off-plan sales transactions that Dubai has seen in the past decade. Why do we think this is? Um, I think a whole host of reasons. Um, we've seen a really big growing demand for general real estate in Dubai and specifically obviously in that secondary segment. But what you're finding is because there's a really high demand and a lower supply in that secondary market, people are looking towards off plan as well. Um, you've got in parallel to that the you know desire for upgraded units and renovated properties. So we've seen that in the secondary market. And you've also got a whole host of people now looking towards off plan because it's going to be ready. 
you may hand over in two years, but you've got the added benefit of not having to deal with renovation costs, not having to deal with maybe additional maintenance costs. So you've got demand from both. Um, and I think that's really what's pushing more towards the off plan. And you've definitely got, you know, and I guess Vincent will be able to weigh in more on this. But when it comes to the type of units that are coming to the market in the off plan market, they're really meeting the buyer demand. So, Fintan, what is the case for off-plan property? Why might someone be looking to buy off-plan rather than something that's standing? Well, we've got two markets. We have our domestic market and our international market. And our domestic market, we're seeing a lot going for a lot of the more private developers, as well as the bigger developers, whereas their international market is going for the international well-known developer. I think there's a, there's a couple of pain points there. So, for the international buyer... Um, we're looking at a lot of people looking to dollarize their real estate investment. So the, the euro, they don't feel very good about the eurozone. In the UK, they want to get their money out of the UK, for example. Um, then we look at the domestic market, and it is somebody is looking for something that doesn't exist in the market today. Okay, so the developers today are, you know, during that COVID period, um, have had a time to kind of sit back and reassess the way forward. And now they're coming out with better uh, communities, They've looked at the supply coming into the market. And the most success, successful developers are the ones that, as you Sarah said, are, are satisfying that need at the moment. Okay, but that's it from a market and an industry point of view. From a personal point of view, she says, <laughs> why would someone looking to buy in a community want to buy off plan rather than something that was already built? What are the advantages there? Sarah uh, touched on this a moment ago and just said there's a couple of things there. A lot of people, if they're an end user, they want to live in that property themselves. There's a huge frustration at this point in time of finding a vacant untransfer property in a good community. So if you take, for example, if I have to buy a property and I'm buying with a mortgage, it could take eight, six to eight weeks for that to transfer. Then I have to serve a notice to vacate. So already I'm already 14 months in. Whereas that property that they might be looking at off plan and it, we think about off-plan as primary, but there's off-plan secondary as well. And that is in the figures. That person is looking at maybe buying a property that would be ready in maybe 16 months, 20 months. So the time frame in an off-plan resale isn't that different maybe to actually buying a, a secondary home where they have to give a notice to vacate. Yeah, and just to add on to that point as well, I think it comes down to, you know, capital outlay is, you know, if you're going to be buying in that secondary market, if you're buying from a developer for both, let's say you've got the 4% DLD fee and you've got the 2% brokerage fee, not too much difference there. But when it comes to the capital outlay for a secondary market, it's instantly 20% if you're going to put down the minimum uh, loan to value. And then if you're also looking towards off plan, you do have more attractive payment plans, maybe 5%, maybe 10%. And that's scattered as, um, you know, the months go on. So, You've got the added benefit of, you know, a, a longer duration to pay that. But one thing I do always say to people is if you're somebody employed in a full time job and you rely on your salary, you've got to have that cash ready. You, you know, you can't be thinking, OK, I need to pay 10 percent in a year. I'll save up for that now. You need to be prepared for that. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, we're talking about recessions going to hit next year. You just need to be prepared if you're going towards uh, an off plan unit, as you would be in the secondary market as well. But that definitely does skew more people towards off plan because of the reduced capital outlay. Let's look at how much it actually costs you to do it. Sarah mentioned the, the fees there. How does someone sit down and, and do the sums when they're judging things like the rent they were putting down where they're waiting for it to be built, uh, where mortgage rates could be in two or three a time when you're looking to maybe get a mortgage at a certain 
point in the, the build. Which of these numbers should you be considering? I've always sat down with clients and I've always sat down with putting all the options on the table, looking at the secondary, going to the financial advisor that can give them the, the current updates and what's happening in the mortgage market. At the moment, we're seeing an awful lot of things happening there, rates going up, which is affecting people's uh, the, the loans that they're able to get. This is actually driving some people to off-plan as well because what they thought they could get at the start of the year is very different to what they can get now. But their aspiration for that home hasn't changed. So now they're jumping onto maybe an off-plan property where they know they can move into in, like, uh, for example, a Harmony in uh, Talal al-Gaf. They know that's going to be ready in 16, 18 months. Uh, but as you mentioned there, it is starting with the financials. It's, you know, understanding what you're, you can afford, having that safety net to know that what if something should happen, that I have the cash there to make that next payment and I'm not relying on my uh, income. Yeah, and just to add on to that, I do think it's also important when you're looking at the financials to understand what you want. Do you want to upgrade a unit? Because if you're doing a off-plan versus secondary analysis and you want to move into an upgraded unit, off-plan you get that. What's the cost in secondary? Look at that. If you're going to renovate the unit, does that mean you then have to go into a short-term rental for a period of time? That's going to cost you additional money. What's the ongoing maintenance cost for a secondary property? I would sit down with a spreadsheet and put all of these figures in and really weigh up and also make sure you feel comfortable with whatever decision you're going to go down. We're getting questions in thick and fast, so I'm just going to start throwing them at you. Someone actually asking, is it cheaper off plan? If we look at square footage, does it work out cheaper? The answer to that depends on the location of the product. So if there's a product coming into a market, so on the Palm at the moment, for example, there's very little land available. We look at the scarcity of uh, land and for future construction. In there, because of its scarcity or uniqueness factor, you, you were probably on par. So by buying that off-plan property there, you're not going to be saving an awful lot. Um, I look at another property that in Dubai Hills, Ellington House, and because of the uniqueness of that and the, and the particular units in there, uh, you're going to pay a premium for that, probably maybe even higher in some cases than what's in the market. But if I'm looking for something for investment, for cash flow for 10 years, I know in 10 years I'm not going to have a period of vacancy. And I know in that particular unit that whilst I might not get capital appreciation, I've got a safety net of putting my head on the pillow at night time, knowing that if I get a mortgage, the rental income is going to come in and pay for that. So I can't answer that question of 100%. I could bring you out to Moudan Al-Ranim and there you've got better value there. 10 seconds. Um, With so much coming up, this is from Wasim, is there a worry that we're going to end up with an oversupply if there's all this off plan? In certain segments, yes. Such as... I would think that mediocre quality in uh, overpopulated areas, yes. But then in other areas, we're going to see this property prices rising. Yeah, I still don't think you've seen enough in the waterfront properties. um, And they're the ones that are going to maintain the demand because there's just not enough supply in those kind of luxury end and waterfront properties. There you go. Thanks very much, guys. Unfortunately, we've got time for Sarah Hewardine, Head of Marketing at Hauser, Fintan Flanley, Head of Developer Sales at Allsop and Allsop. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.